Heavenly Father, we do indeed give you thanks and praise for your faithfulness, that you are steadfast and sure. We pray that you would remind each of us of these truths this morning, and that you would inspire us to be faithful as you are faithful. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please be seated? Well, I'm sure all of us have been struck by the plight of Christians and Yesidis in Iraq over these last few weeks, as people of all ages have been forced to either abandon their faith and convert to Islam, or to pay an exemption tax in order to retain their faith, or to face a cruel death. The images screened across the world are shocking, and yet, despite the evil level towards them, we've witnessed some amazing courage and inspirational faith. I was personally struck by the words of an Iraqi Christian who himself, having faced torture, displacement and personal loss, was resolute to remain faithful to Christ. Now, tragically, such situations of persecutions for one's faith is nothing new, as we were reminded in this morning's Bible reading. This is a true story, and it's all to do with endurance, it's all to do with courage, it's all to do with God's faithfulness and God's sovereignty. The dictionary tells us that endurance means having an ability to withstand prolonged strain or pressure. Well, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego endured various pressures. For example, there was peer pressure. There was great pressure on them to conform. However, they had a rock-like resolve. There was also the pressure of ambition. These guys were high flyers. They could have easily been seduced by status and position, only due to God's goodness anyway, but they weren't. They also had to endure the stress of being falsely accused and the prospect of death in the inferno. But why did they endure? Why are Christians today in Iraq refusing to abandon their faith in order to comply with what is being demanded of them? Well, they sought to serve the king, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and the people of Babylon, which incidentally is modern-day Iraq. But they were motivated by a higher loyalty, a loyalty to God. Now, occasionally, political leaders often try to rally their nations around a symbol or a cause. For example, some have suggested that the Falklands War, going back to the early 80s, had such a purpose of bringing the nation together. 
or going back, what, 14 years ago, remember the Millennium Dome? That was erected as a, a symbol of somehow seeking to bring the nation together. The Queen's Diamond Jubilee did, for the most part, bring communities together across the land and across the Commonwealth. And each side in the present conflict in Gaza, it seems to me, utilises tactics which are aimed at uniting against a common enemy. However, while such symbols and causes can provide a level of unity and strength, there can also be a focus for evil. For example, back in the 1980s, I noticed earlier that Matt used the word solidarity. And that word became synonymous, didn't it, uh, in Poland. And the release from the communist regime there, it became a symbol of liberation and power from an oppressive regime. While in pre-war Germany, the swastika united almost the whole of the German nation. Well, in Babylon, that was a huge and fragmented empire with all sorts of beliefs and philosophies. And Nebuchadnezzar struggled to maintain order. He struggled to hold it all together. And so he decided to erect a huge statue as a focus for the whole nation's worship. And whenever they heard the music playing, all the people were to bow down and to worship the statue. Now, it's not clear what Nebuchadnezzar's statue looked like, except that it was 30 metres high and it was covered with gold. Perhaps it looked like Nebuchadnezzar himself. The fact is, we don't know. However, notice how the person who wrote the biblical account repeated the list of instruments which were repeated again and again. And also the list of officials who had to bow down. It made it sound something like a nursery rhyme as though the writer is mocking the people for their blind obedience. Last Sunday, Matt reminded us how Daniel, along with his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, had to decide when to stand firm and when to compromise. And when it came to worshipping an idol, there was just no question. God's law forbade it. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego must have known that their jobs and even their lives were in jeopardy if they were caught disobeying Nebuchadnezzar's edict. But they also knew that they did not have to defend their own jobs or lives. You see, the God who had brought them thus far could be trusted for the future too. All the same, they might have kept their rebellion to themselves had it not been for the court astrologers described as Chaldeans in that Bible reading we heard earlier. Now, it was not their job to report lawbreakers, but they were probably jealous of the favour 
Nebuchadnezzar had shown to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this is also true today. There are those who are always looking for an opportunity to spill the beans or to discredit others. There's been quite a thing in the news this weekend, hasn't there, with the uh, police uh, investigation, visit, if you like, to Cliff Richard's home. And the fact that the media knew before Cliff Richard himself. Again, it's almost like drawing attention without coming to any conclusion regarding the outcome of that. Again, it's that sense of almost discrediting before a person has had the opportunity to reply. Well, that's what these people were doing. They were wanting to drop Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to create for them the largest humiliation and also to discredit them in a not very constructive or helpful way. But rather what they said to Nebuchadnezzar was both damaging and destructive. What motivates such people? Well, Daniel chapter 2 verse 49 gives us a clue. It's down to jealousy and envy. These were the primary motives then, just as they are today, sometimes even within the church. But if we're following the passage, in verse 12, it says they came to the king and they said, there are some Jews. You can see them building up this picture of dissatisfaction who pay no attention to you or king. Now the king had been good to Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Their lack of loyalty and disrespect was no way to repay him. They knew where the king was vulnerable and they knew where they could discredit those three considerably. So consequently, Nebuchadnezzar was furious, we're told, and he summoned the trio and he said to them, verses 15 and 14 and 15, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Here, the king is giving them an opportunity to reconsider their position. But they refuse. The accusations against Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were only partly true, but they did not bother to deny them. Instead, they made it clear to Nebuchadnezzar that while they remained loyal to him, they could only worship the one true God. And as they expressed that to him, they weren't indignant, but rather they were respectful, which actually imitates Daniel's attitude, which we read of in chapter 2, verse 14. They spoke with wisdom and tact. Now imagine the courage this took. 
They knew they were within a whisker of death. They were to be thrown into a lime-kiln furnace. But notice they did not say, our God will definitely rescue us. They knew God could rescue them, but they did not know whether he would do it. And the same is true for you and me. We cannot decide how or when God will save us. But do we share their attitude to God, or do we demand that he complies with what we want? That self-fulfillment, that trouble-free life. Well, God will not always prevent us from being thrown into life's fiery furnaces. But we do know that he will always be with us in them. And we know that no other God can rescue us. Indeed, centuries later, Peter and John acclaimed, since God himself came into the world in the person of Jesus, salvation is found through him alone. No one else can save us. It's through Christ alone that we are saved and reconciled to the sovereign God. And it's receiving that knowledge, accepting that relationship, that is liberating in whatever life throws at us. And so the trio were bound and thrown into the furnace. However, they were miraculously unharmed, which, let's face it, it's amazing. This can be a familiar story, can't it? Something from Sunday school or whatever, that we almost become immune to actually the significance and the amazing uh, spectacle that we're recalling this morning. Especially when the fire destroyed the ropes binding them, but not their clothes. Indeed, we're told that the heat in the furnace was so intensely hot that it killed the very soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to be burnt. And notice that little detail in verse 20. These weren't your everyday type of soldiers. These were the strongest in the empire of Babylon. And yet they could not withstand the heat. This says something of God's sovereignty. When Nebuchadnezzar looked into the furnace, he saw not three, but four people. But who was this fourth person? Well, some scholars have suggested that it was Jesus who had joined them in the furnace, while Nebuchadnezzar assumes the fourth person was an angel. Now, whether it was Jesus or an angel here, we have God himself. He is the one to whom we are to look He is the one to whom we can trust, for he is the one who is ever faithful and ever sure. And here he is, standing in solidarity with his people. Well, amazed, Nebuchadnezzar commanded the three accused men to come out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They trusted God to meet their needs. He is faithful and trustworthy. They also remain true to God, pleasing him 
was their priority above everything and everyone else. You know, their stand caused Nebuchadnezzar to acknowledge that their God was indeed the Most High God. He said in verse 28, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yet interestingly, King Nebuchadnezzar, he paid lip service to God's sovereignty, but as we'll discover in two weeks' time, he hadn't personally accepted God's sovereignty. He knew it in his head, but he didn't know it in his heart. Unlike the heart and head faith, the three held so tenaciously in the teeth of the tyrant's threats, their faith in God received tribute from the tyrant himself. Hence, theirs became a permitted and protected religion. So the faith of the few benefited many. I wonder, if you or I were in the position of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, would we have acted as they did? You know, there's nothing wrong with ambition, status or even popularity. Providing our motives are God-centred rather than self-centred. It may be a hobby or a relationship that is more important to us than our relationship with God. How loyal are we to God? How much does it mean to us to have a personal relationship with him who gave his life in order for us to have that personal relationship with him now and forever? We may not need to endure the extent of suffering of these three, or indeed as our brothers and sisters in Christ are enduring right now, this morning, in Iraq. But situations will arise when our loyalty and our trust in God will be tested. We can be sure of that. I'm going to close with a couple of verses from the New Testament, from Hebrews chapter 12. Thinking of the example both in the present day and in the past of those witnesses to God's truth and to his faithfulness. This is what we read in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and protector of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Thanks be to God. Amen.